We knew that the final match day in Conable World Cup qualifiers would be dramatic, and it lived up to the expectations. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the World Football Index South American Football Show, recapping the final round of Conable World Cup qualifiers. I'm your host, Austin Miller, joined, as always, by, at least on this show, a dejected Adam Brandon in Arica, Chile. Adam, we'll, we'll get into everything here in a few minutes, but first of all, condolences. I know you are certainly disappointed that Chile will be missing out on the World Cup. Yeah, certainly am. It wasn't just a dramatic night, but it was always going to be heartbreaking for, for one nation, and that sadly was Chile uh, last night. But yeah, good afternoon, Austin. Good afternoon, Simon. Pleasure to be speaking to you both, even if I am a little sad at the moment. Good to have you on, Adam. I'm sure your perspective will be much appreciated. The scene is probably a bit happier in Medellin, Colombia. That's where our Simon Edwards is. Simon, it wasn't necessarily pretty, but Colombia got the job done. We'll get into the specifics in a little bit, but I'm sure the mood is is maybe more relief than anything else. Is, is that fair to say? Yeah, definitely. I mean, yesterday before the game, I kind of had a realization about what that would mean if Colombia didn't make it. So, ooh, you know, no World Cup, no excitement, no enthusiasm, not being involved. So I really feel for Adam um, today. But yeah, lots and lots of relief here in Colombia. Uh, a sense of, oh, of course, we're going to make it. But I'm definitely sure that's not the case for people yesterday. Well, let's get straight into it, guys. And let's start with, as Adam said, the team... Somebody was going to be heartbroken at the end of the night, and unfortunately for La Roja, it was them. 3-0 losers to Brazil at the Allianz Parque in Sao Paulo. It was 0-0 at halftime. At that point, Chile were sitting precariously, but still sitting alive. A first goal for Brazil made it 1-0, obviously. 1-0 uh, could have potentially been enough for Chile, but then a second quickly thereafter by Gabriel Jesus meant that Chile had to go attack to try to bring it back to a one-goal deficit. And then finally, the third coming with Gabriel Jesus poking into an empty net after Claudio Bravo had come forward. Adam, the 3-0 loss for Chile that are outside of the World Cup. What does it mean to everybody in Chile, to the players, to, to the technical staff, to, to the fans, to the Chilean people, uh, for this generation to, to not get that, that World Cup send-off that so many thought would happen for them? Well, yeah, it's obviously very sad and it's obviously quite a, quite a huge missed opportunity as well because this squad is definitely good enough to, to have qualified. But it's, yeah, it's, a, it's a huge blow to the country on both kind of an emotional and economic level. As, as we say on this pod many times, you know, in South America, international football is still extremely popular and, and you know, the whole country stops and watches for big matches like last night. So it was very eerie on, on the streets uh, last night all over Chile, I think. And you know, there was quite a lot of emotion um, on, the, on the way back from the pub. I, t I took a Collectivo, which is like a shared taxi for those who don't know, back, back to my home. And, and there was a, like a couple probably in their 20s actually crying in the back of the Collectivo. That's how much uh, it, it got to them. So, yeah, and, and, and there's also quite a lot of anger as well. Another emotion for you. <laughs> yeah, because Chile have blown it. I think the complacency against, uh, certainly in that home game against Paraguay last month, the more I think about it, I think that is really where 
Chile blew this qualifying campaign and it put them under too much pressure when they went to Bolivia. Those back-to-back defeats in, in September ended up you know, really making the difference, especially with Peru picking up the amount of points they did in that time. Yeah, there's, there's also a little bit of anger also towards you know some of the other countries qualifying and sort of the desperation for fans of other countries to kind of rub Chile's faces in it. Yeah, a lot of them seem happier that Chile have missed the World Cup rather than you know happier that their that their nations made it, which I find very odd. But anyway, I think uh, I think last night once again we saw Brazil prove to be Chile's uh, kryptonite, um, as they so often have been over the years. You know, beat Chile in the 1962 World Cup semi-final, beat Chile in the last 16 of the 1998. 2010 and 2014 World Cups and now you know this 3-0 victory over Chile last night denies them of an appearance at the 2018 World Cup in Russia next year it was a strange night I was there you know we, we were all texting each other during the game and, and at half time I let a lot of hope creep in by then really because in the back of my mind it was like well we do need a two goal swing now for this to go against Chile with just 45 minutes remaining. So it just felt, you know, if Chile can just keep it tighter for that little bit longer, you know, should should just be fine. But of course, it all went wrong very quickly in that second half. And in a blink of an eye, Chile are, Chile are two goals down. Big mistake from Claudio Bravo on the first goal. I've defended him probably more than anybody else on any podcast. And he is usually reliable for his country, but, you know, he, he won't want to see that goal again. Like you said, you know, Gabby Jesus made it 2-0 shortly afterwards. Chile did hit the post, didn't they? I think it was around the hour mark just after Brazil had made it 2-0. But apart from that, did Chile really ever look like scoring last night? Probably not. And, and that has also been one of the problems, especially this year. They just haven't scored enough goals. In games like against Argentina, they created lots of chances but couldn't put them away. And probably in the last couple of months, they've struggled to create chances. Chile certainly missed the skill, goal threat and industry of, of Arturo Vidal, who was suspended last night. Even with 13 minutes to go, Chile was still heading for a playoff with New Zealand. But then, of course, over in Colombia, <laughs> over in Lima, sorry, um, Peru equalised against Colombia and... Uh, and with Chile losing by two goals at that point, that meant that either Chile needed to score or hope that Colombia got a winner. In the end, you know, Chile piled everybody forward in search of that. In the end, they were hit on the counter-attack. And once, I think the Colombia-Peru game was a few minutes behind, I'm right in thinking. So once it went 3-0, you know, we've all seen the pictures by now, most probably of Falcao telling the Peru players to just let Colombia knock it about without any pressure. So the last few minutes of the game in Lima was kind of played out with the fans and players of both sides celebrating that they had secured a top five finish. I've said throughout the day, really, that you know this is kind of an end of an era for Chile as there isn't much talent coming through. But the fact that there isn't much talent coming through means that, you know, for the foreseeable future at least, you know, that, that kind of backbone, whether Bravo continues, that's the biggest doubt, but the backbone of kind of Nadal and Nadal and Sanchez, that will probably continue, certainly until the 2019 Copa America. You know, Chile will want to try and defend their title in Brazil in with, with some honour there. But 
you know, anybody who's watched Chile's under 20 teams or under 17 teams in, in recent years will know that there's not a great deal coming up through the ranks, unfortunately. So it looks like they're going to be reliant on Sanchez and Vidal for, for a few years to come still. And Adam, I, I think for me, as you, as you rightly said, it's, it's that match against Padawai where, where everything kind of went wrong because we knew that it was always going to be difficult for Chile if they left it to the last day. They had the hardest fixture. Away to Brazil, who despite already being qualified, was, was probably playing the last match in front of their home fans before this World Cup. They wanted to go out with a bang. They wanted to go out to cheers, and they did that. Uh, Brazil weren't perfect necessarily on the night, but, but they pounced on Chilean mistakes and, and were able to walk out easy winners. And so for that, I think for me, it's the fact that they did leave it till this last night for a v- variety of reasons, and that's kind of where it all went wrong. It's, I don't think, look, to lose 3-0 at Brazil the way that they did, I don't know that there's that much shame in that. But it's the results that led up to it that kind of bring me the pause, that bring me the, the criticism if, if, you know, of this Chilean side. And, and at the end of the day, that's what cost them. They weren't able to do what they needed to do on the final night. And then it got left up kind of not necessarily to fate, but almost to fate because it was, all right, what's everybody else going to do? And then it didn't go Chile's way and they didn't have the response necessary to kind of pull it back late. Yeah, definitely, Austin. And I think I've said said it on the pod a few, a few times over the last few months. You know, I had a feeling that if Chile went into that last game in Brazil, they'd probably lose about 3-0. I'm sure I remember saying that at one point. So, you know, it was imperative of them to to get themselves in an unassailable position before that game. And, and they didn't do that. And it was for that reason, you know, even our, even on uh, the last pod we did on, on Thursday or Friday, you know, that's, that's why I couldn't really be that confident. It always felt that this was really going to be an uphill struggle on, on the last day. And, uh, and so it proved. The, the, other, the other thing, we, the big elephant in the room we have to talk about as well, is the whole cast decision. <laughs> so I, I can't believe this has ended up working against Chile. So for those who don't know, Peru lost in La Paz 2-0. Chile drew 0-0 in Santiago. This this goes back to about September 2015, I believe it was. Bolivia were found to have uh, fielded an eligible player. FIFA decided that Chile and Peru would both get three points each and three nil victories each. It was then appealed by all the other federations and the Court of Arboration of Sport came back and, and decided, no, FIFA's decision is correct. So those results stand. But, and they've and proved decisive in the final standings, but bizarrely enough against Chile and, and just in favour of Peru because Peru gained an extra point, which is not Chile out of, of the reckoning. So incredible. It's absolutely surreal to, to think that the fact that Bolivia fielded an ineligible player is probably the difference in this World Cup cycle. And somehow Chile being awarded three points was not good for them at the end of the day because Peru finished ahead of them. It's, it's bizarre. And I guess it's, it's also conmable, isn't it? That it comes down to the thinnest of margins at so many different places, at so many different spots. As we'll get to with Colombia and Peru, it, it comes down to a touch on an indirect free kick sometimes. And that's the difference. And Adam, I think yeah. it just shows how close all of these nations are together, that individual moments can really be the difference over an 18-match qualification cycle. Definitely, Austin, definitely. Um, 
the final thing that I really want to say on on Chile is the fact that that although you know they haven't made the 2018 World Cup, I think Chileans have a lot to be thankful for for this generation. You know, they got those two well-deserved Copa America triumphs, of course. They reached the last 16 of the 2010 and 2014 World Cup, you know. And and before that, they hadn't... I think their best performance in a World Cup was the semi-finals on home soil in, in 62. They also got to the last 16 in 98. It was decent performance. And they were only sort of a penalty away or inches away when Mauricio Pena hit the bar in that last 16 game against Brazil in 2014 from, you know, upsetting the hosts and going through to a quarterfinal. I, th- I think, for me, personally, I will always see that penalty shootout defeat against Brazil as the big missed opportunity um, for this Chile generation, more so than missing this 2018 World Cup. Because, yeah, as we've seen over the last year, this this, this team has, has been ageing, not quite as good as it once was. Where in 2014, you know, Chile were very good. If they'd just got past Brazil, I believe that they could have even reached a final that year. It hurts, but you know, football, you know, it's it comes in cycles. So uh, Chile's time might come again, but I fear that probably the next decade is going to be quite a barren one. Certainly by the standards of the last ten. Always the optimist, Adam Brennan. It, it's it's hard to argue with you though. I, I completely agree with seeing what they've they've put out at the youth level and, and watching them in under-20 competitions and, and watching them at, at the current under-17 World Cup. It is and also, and also the performances at club level. Sure. In the Copa Libertadores and Copa Sudamericana, you know, they've become kind of a bit of a joke, haven't they, on our podcast, Gillian team. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the national team was the one thing really keeping... The senior national team was the one thing keeping sort of Chilean football standing up proud. So, you know, it's a, it's a it's a huge blow from that aspect as well. Well, let's move on and, and let's bring Simon in here. Uh, Colombia do qualify for the World Cup, a nervy 1-1 draw with Peru in Lima. That sends the Peruvians through to the intercontinental playoff where they will face New Zealand over two legs. Hamas Rodriguez scoring for Colombia early on in the second half. And then maybe the the play of the night, if you will, with Paulo Guerrero for Peru, taking what was deemed to be an indirect free kick, going straight for goal. Maybe it took a touch from the wall. Maybe it didn't. It definitely took a touch from Colombia's goalkeeper, David Ospina. That resulted in the ball ending up in the back of the net. Even though it was indirect, it was touched by a player. So a goal for Peru sealed them a point, sealed them fifth place. You can argue that maybe Peru and Colombia were both happy with the result for the final minutes there. Uh, as Adam mentioned, this game kicked off later. Oh no, Colombia went to the wrong side of the pitch to start the match. Oh, looked like we're two minutes late coming out of halftime. So these two teams were very deliberate, I think, in making sure that the final five minutes of this match would finish after all of the other matches had finished. And by that point, they knew what they needed. And they were both able to secure that. Colombia through to Russia, Peru through to the playoff. Simon, relief, I think, as we said earlier, is maybe the order of the day in Colombia, that this team did just enough to get over the line at the end. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think whereas with Chile, a lot of their success has been built around consistency and organization um, and perhaps a somewhat shallow talent pool, some excellent players, obviously, but having a certain, you know, a set number of players that are the core of the team. 
I think Colombia is the complete opposite. Colombia has a very, very deep <laughs> talent pool, um, has some standout players, but has a lot of good players. And I think, you know, in a way, that has been one of the one of the issues with the qualification campaign. You know, Forty odd players chosen, again, many many changes, different team picked every game, so it's been very disjointed. The, obviously, we spoke about the the end of the game last week against Paraguay and how things collapsed in terms of, you know, defensive responsibility and shape and discipline. I think they were very conscious of that, Colombia, for this game. Uh, very much a 4-4-2, which is not a formation Colombia played at all in the last four or five years. But it was it was very much, you know, making sure they're organized making sure they're in the game making sure they have someone close to Falcao to do some of his his link-up play to do some of his runs so Duvan Zapata who plays in Italy made his debut for Colombia tonight uh, last night as a center forward he played alongside Falcao he did a lot of the running down the channels he did a lot of the he was a lot you know the target man Falcao was very very effective obviously in the final third scoring goals latching onto through balls you know winning headers you know, in attacking positions. But his link-up play, his hold-up play isn't always great, which is why Zapata got the nod alongside him. There was a lot of talk of maybe Chara coming in or Teofilo Gutierrez, who's done that role before. But uh, Duvan Zapata, despite not being particularly polished, was very much an important force for Colombia. Ran down the line, put a few of the low crosses in for for Falcao in in the first half, two of the rare chances in a game which was... You know, a lot of a lot of intensity, very tense. Um, Colombia again with a four-four-two. The defense with Oscar Morillo and Damison Sanchez. Oscar Morillo, very much Colombia's fourth choice centre back now, with Zapata out and Jerry Mina still injured. Um, did okay, looked a bit shaky. Damison Sanchez was very impressive up against Paulo Guerrero, who's one of the you know very streetwise forward, uh, you know dangerous forward. Fabro and Arias played well at fullback. Carlos Sanchez and Abel Aguila had a lot to do in a 4-4-2. Um, they did it well. Sanchez was very good, as he always is for Colombia. Abel Aguila was consistent. Cuadrado on the right very much uh, was conservative Cuadrado. I think a lot of his his strength and his danger comes in taking risks and running at the fullback, uh, kind of playing the percentages in terms of a one-on-one. None of that at all last night, which was frustrating for some Colombian fans. They were disappointed in his contribution, but I think he was so good at tracking back you know he's a player who's played at fullback before and you know, a very attacking fullback but a player who understands what's required defensively James Rodriguez on the left had some good touches he's James Rodriguez of course but very much not particularly enthusiastic about tracking back right I felt for Frank Fabra trying to defend the left on his own really um, but James was the guy who scored the goal a scrappy goal for Colombia kind of across the bundled across the penalty area and and Hamez swung one at it and rolled it in the corner. Um, very much felt vindicated, I think. He, he's received quite a lot of criticism. Had some personal issues separating with, from his wife and, and so forth. And there's been some speculation that he's kind of lost a bit of focus. So the goal meant a lot to him. But he, he didn't have the best of games really on the left. And was actually substituted in the second half. As was Zapata for Barrios. Came on to tighten up the midfield. And then the free kick came. And it was an indirect free kick at the edge of the box. Um, if you listen to the Peruvian commentary, they're going, no, no Paolo, Paolo, it's, it's indirect. It's indirect, Paolo. And then he curls it and they start screaming, no, he touched it, he touched it, he touched it. Um, basically, uh, yeah, he curled it around the wall. There's a suspicion that it may have scraped uh, James Rodriguez's 
hair on the way into the goal, but I'm pretty sure the referee wouldn't have, have noted that. Uh, if it did happen, I still don't know, and I've seen it about 10 times. Uh, and then uh, Ospina, which a save he probably should have made. He was already moving to his left when the ball was kicked, uh, and it wasn't a particularly you know, large distance to cover. Anyway, he he parried it into the goal, and and uh, Peru ran off, and, and Guerrero ran off celebrating, seemingly not realising how lucky he was that Ospina had, had got a finger to it. Um, as we got to the end of the game, yeah, Falcao went to all the players and said, let's, let's, you know, let's not tell you too much, because it was about five minutes before the end of the Colombia game when the Chile result came in. So there was very much a sense that let's not mess us up for each other. Uh, Peru were somewhat... They weren't particularly dangerous. I did kind of expect more. There were quite a few petulant fouls and quite a few disruptions in play. I think they definitely felt the pressure um, of potentially needing to win the game and, and going behind. Um, you know, in the end, they were somewhat fortunate with a free kick, but I think Peru's a decent side. Cueva's a good player. Carrillo had a really poor game. It was going to be kind of a key outlet for them. Um, had a potential to get the Colombia fullback, but didn't really play very well. Guerrero, really happy for him to get to a World Cup. 33 years old, been a key, key striker in South America for many years in Brazil. He's done well. And, you know, he's he's very much a kind of talismanic leader for that Peruvian side. And it'll be interesting for him to have a chance. Obviously, there's a playoff to come, potentially get into a World Cup. So everyone happy after this game. Um, I think Colombia have a lot of work lacking in consistency and, and definition in terms of the formation, the strategy. There's a lot of work to be done. It's disappointing after three years that... Colombia are seemingly no closer to deciding their best 11 or even the formation the team wants to play. But there's a lot of players for the manager to choose from. I just hope he chooses who he wants and then works to making that into an effective team because definitely the talent's there. It's just the organization that is a concern for me. Yeah, Simon, as you said, certainly seems as though there's still a lot for Colombia to do between now and Russia. We'll see how those preparations go. We'll see if if Peckerman picks a formation. We'll see if he can narrow down, as you said, that player pool that seemed to stretch to 40 or 45 by the end of these qualifiers to a final 23 and and how difficult that will prove to be. But Colombia do have their ticket punched and, and they can be thankful for that. Adam, Peru do not yet, but obviously pleased by the fact that they'll continue to play on What do you make of this playoff for the Peruvians against New Zealand? I think Simon is spot on. This was a nervy performance from Peru. I think expectedly so. A lot of pressure on this team. They've not qualified for the World Cup since 1982. I think you could see that in the stands, on the pitch. Now they get New Zealand. They have at least the potential for maybe two more nervy matches. New Zealand doesn't exactly strike fear into the opposition. But what do you make of this playoff for your neighbors up to the north? I think it's obviously very winnable for them. That's not to say that it will definitely be easy um, because as both of you guys have said, you know, nerves could well come in here and this is such an historic moment in improving your football. And, and I thought the nerves might be too much for them last night, but they just about managed to pull through with more than a hint of fortune, I think, judging by what Simon says. I think it helps. I, I believe that Peru have the first leg away in New Zealand. Is that right, Austin? That is correct. Yeah, got the first yeah, leg will so, be played away, second leg back in Lima. Yeah, so I, I, I think that setup works perfectly for them here. You know, they won't have the pressure of needing sort of a, a comfortable lead to take to New Zealand or anything like that. You know, they can just play that away game, you know, fairly intelligently. Um, don't do anything stupid. 
make sure that, you know, you stay in the tie. I think they're more than capable of getting a draw. And, 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 uh, and, I, and I, to be honest, I expect them to probably grab uh, a win. It might only be a narrow win, but I think, I think they'll probably win it. And then, then, then they should ease through at home in Lima. I'll be very, very surprised if they blew it now. Yeah, I watched quite a bit of New Zealand in the Confederations Cup, and they do try and play some some tidy football. To be fair to them, they're, they're a lot different from how they were back in the 2010 World Cup. But yeah, and and in Chris Wood, they have a decent you know Premier League striker there. You know, he's had a good start to his career uh, with Burnley. Um, Winston Reid at the back is an experienced Premier League defender, so. So, you know, it is a team with, with a couple of decent talents in there, but the cohesion that this Peru side have shown in recent months or really in the last year or two, yeah, has been fantastic. And, and I think they will have too much uh, quality and too much skill for the, for the all-whites, I believe their nickname is in, in football. Simon, for you, kind of the same Looking at this, obviously Peru need to be careful, but it should be favored and, and should fairly easily get through this tie. Yeah, you know, I think they've got a they've got a proper box number nine, which is you know somewhat rare in world football nowadays. Uh, and I think against a team that's probably going to be, you know, organized and disciplined and, and somewhat defensive for spells of the game. You know, I think he's the kind of player who can break down. And, and you know, pop up with something in the box, and I think once they get that goal, I think the game will change quite significantly. So it's going to be a challenge. We've seen some good things from New Zealand from time to time. They weren't terrible in the Confederations Cup. So yeah, so I think it's going to be a difficult challenge. But I do think Peru have the players, the creativity of Cueva, the pace out wide, and and uh, Guerrero in the box uh, to yeah to cause them troubles, get that all important first goal, and then hopefully see it out. Because you know we we like Peru. Hopefully we see Peru there at the World Cup. Yeah, I would absolutely echo that. I think the biggest question for Peru will be, what's the mentality? Where are the nerves? Because as we've as we've all touched on, this is a huge moment for them. It's been since 1982 that they've made the World Cup. And I don't believe they've been particularly close recently. Um, but here they are. They're right in it. It's all in front of them now. You've got two legs against a team that you are more talented than. I agree with you, Adam. First leg away is is big for Peru because you know, all right, just yeah. stay in the tie. We've got the 90 minutes to come. Yeah, but la- the last time Peru came close, I think I'm right in saying, was in the 1998 qualifiers where they were edged out by Chile on goal difference. So they've also got some revenge there. <laughs> but um, e- even from Chile perspective, and I-, and I know quite a few Chileans here anyway who wish prove the best of luck really in in the playoffs um there's not there's not that much bitterness from 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 this side um anyway so uh, i hope peru do well and it's just across the border for me here in Arica. so yeah i'm hoping they make a world cup and i can go across the border and experience a couple of matches over there maybe with with the peruvians sure live vicariously right they're at least going to the World Cup, so get some experience. Exactly. Yeah, right. Get my Peru shirt on, one of the coolest in football. <laughs> Absolutely, and, uh, yeah. Get that yeah. shirt back in the World Cup. Bit of, yeah. bit of, uh, bit of glory hunting going on. <laughs> sure. Yeah. sure. Happy days. Well, I can't believe that it's taken us this long. This is probably the only South American podcast where there's been no mention of one Lionel Messi until 
what are we, nearly half an hour in? But here we are, guys. I guess that's what happens when you get a, a Chilean-based and a Colombian-based guy on a pod with somebody whose focus is Brazilian football. But it was a big night for Argentina as well. 3-1 winners in Quito. And to kind of symbolize that this night could potentially be incredibly bizarre, Ecuador were 1-0 up within a minute. Uh, Ibarra just split the Argentine defense, which has been split this way, a lot of times so far in Conmebol World Cup qualifying, Ecuador went straight through it. They were 1-0 up, and then Lionel Messi kind of did his thing. This was a very open match, up and down, chances for both sides. But a, a first-half brace for Messi, one in the 12th minute, one in the 20th minute. That had Argentina 2-1 up, sitting pretty. A third in the 62nd of the second half kind of sealed this one off at 3-1 and kind of took away any any question there would be for Argentina. Simon, I think this was the best I'd seen Argentina at any point in this qualifying cycle. A lot of that might be due to the fact that the team on the other side wasn't particularly good. Uh, but I thought Ecuador came to play. I thought they came in with a game plan. They had picked a lot of domestic-based players who could use the altitude as an advantage. Didn't necessarily come off for them. Uh, but I thought Ecuador gave it, gave it a good try. And But Argentina do it. They're through to the World Cup. And a lot of it is because Lionel Messi is, is simply quite brilliant, huh? Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of questions if, you know, could Messi carry Argentina there? And, and that wasn't completely the case last night. There were some other decent performances, some improved performances from players in the Argentinian side. But yeah, you know, while we were excited by the idea of having Peru and having, you know, this Chilean side and you know, maybe Paraguay, that would be interesting in the World Cup. You know, I can't really begrudge or I can't really be negative about having the world's best player at the World Cup trying desperately to elevate a, a talented but flawed uh, Argentinian side. It's it's an interesting narrative and and Messi showed last night that if the stars align, he can do that. He can turn this team into a very, very good team of his individual talent uh, largely alone. Uh, you know, Argentina, there are still issues. The defence showed their weakness early on. Otto Mendy didn't do too bad. Um, I think with the wing backs or the the wide midfielders in um, Acuna and uh, Salvio, I think there's still questions there in terms of them being effective going forward, but also being responsible dropping deeper. Biglia is is limited, but you know covers a lot of ground. Enzo Perez was one of the better performances from what I've seen from last night uh, in the midfield in terms of passing the ball and also supporting Messi. Di Maria had a much improved game. Benedetto. Again, you know, with the talent Argentina have, there's some questions as to why they need to rely on someone who's, you know, hardworking, who who puts in a, a shift and gets into right positions without being exceptionally talented. Again, there are there are great teams that have had that kind of forward uh, as a as a focal point, but you know, you definitely feel that with the next eight months, Argentina need to find a way, if possible, to firstly make their defence more secure uh, and more consistent. Um, obviously, they're not going to find any more defenders overnight. But in terms of making sure that is as solid as possible, uh, incorporating the wide players, both in terms of getting forward and dropping back, ideally working out how to <laughs> get their best players in the team. Obviously, there are serious questions over the likes of Higuaín, Aguero, Dybala, Icardi. You know, they haven't necessarily performed, but now Argentina have a bit of breathing room um, in terms of having friendlies, having training camps and so forth to to maybe try and work out a way to make this work because as as incredible as Messi is and as amazing as he was last, last night, 
he's the, the the head of a team that's deeply, deeply flawed and, and kind of underachieving still. So it will be very interesting to see. I'm, I'm happy that we get Messi at the World Cup, but I, I do hope that Argentina can put together a team that's befitting off his talents and that gives him a chance to be in contention for that for that you know all important World Cup win, which people have been kind of hoping and, and, and waiting to see if they can achieve for the last decade or so. And Simon, the, the question has seemed to be, just give some Pauli time. That was kind of the sentiment that I got when I criticized Argentina this past week. Oh, just give some Pauli time. He just needs time. He just needs time. He finally has that. He didn't have that at any point so far in his, his run in charge as Argentina manager. But he has that. And that means that, as you said, he has eight months to figure these things out. Do you think he can? Well, I, I think that would be better. I, you know, I don't think they could be. A, a it's hard to be worse, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, with the talent they have, um, it's hard to imagine um, that, you know, there's not many formations that you could put out against a Bolivian side at home and, and not be able to score or, you know, not be able to score more than one goal. So, yeah, you know, I definitely think they will improve. I don't think they've adjusted particularly well to, to what's been required. I am concerned about getting around the fullback, uh, the, the the three defenders if they do play three at the back against some of the tougher sides. There are many many teams in world football who will absolutely love <laughs> getting playing playing wide and running at those at those three defenders, getting behind those unnatural kind of wing backs, wide players, um, in defensively unnatural. So I think there's a lot of ways you can hurt Argentina, and based upon recent evidence, there's one way to stop Argentina. Um, so that's obviously a concern, but they do have the talent. They do, they can put together, you know, a whole host of different options in terms of attack. They can, you know, work on defensive cohesion. So I'm sure they'll be better. I'm sure there are better options than the team we've seen this week, although they did enough to go over the line. Um, they just need to make sure that they don't solely rely on Messi because you, you can maybe win some games that way, but over a, a World Cup tournament, you know, three group games, quarterfinals, so forth. That won't that won't work. Maybe one or two games it will, but it won't work in all of them. And if Messi is the only player who's going to score, and again, we're now talking about over a year since anyone else has scored, then you won't win a World Cup or be a competitor. So they need to work on a lot of things between now and, and next year. Adam, for you, Argentina get across the line. Obviously, as, as Simon, I, Simon and I have been talking about, the question is what changes now for them between this moment and, and when they kick off their World Cup campaign? For you, what needs to change for this Argentina side? Is it as simple as cleaning up the defense and, and figuring out a way to not be reliant on Messi? I guess now saying that out loud, it's not terribly simple, that strategy, is it? No, I, I, I think that Pauli's now got, what, six, probably six friendly matches in, in this next eight months to, to get something together. And as, as we know from all our experiences, you know, friendly matches, you know, very rarely translate into how things are going to pan out in the, in, the, in the real thing. But what he can do is obviously in that, I think the promising situation for Argentina is that, well, they're probably going to have a couple of weeks, aren't they, on the training pitch before their first game in the World Cup looking ahead. And I think that's where San Paoli can really start to get his way of playing and his ideas across and, and get that team playing exactly how he wants them to play. Um, although, you know, plenty of doubts remain because, of course, that back line is, is slow and there's no real getting around that unless he, you know, changes the personnel in defence and 
I'm, I'm, I, I just don't think Argentina have quick defenders out there. So, you know, that, that is the big challenge, really, for, for Sampaoli, um, is he may, he may have to change his style a bit. And I think he's done that already. I think we've seen that already, especially the fact, you know, he played a striker like Benedetto. You know, he very rarely played that kind of number nine striker with Chile. So, yeah, it, it's interesting. And how can he get the best out of uh, Dybala and uh, Cardi as well? Because I think the, some of the problems they've had is that those players in their clubs, you know, take up and occupy the same sort of spaces as Messi does. So it makes it difficult for them when they come into the international setup because they've got to give Messi the space and time and the ball for, for him to work his magic. And they're kind of left just watching him, really, I think, a lot of the time. As, as we saw in that game against, was it Uruguay, I think, where, was it Akali only had like two, three touches in the whole 90 minutes? It's, it's going to be fascinating to see if he can get this Argentina side up to speed in more ways than one. Are you happy that Argentina made the World Cup, Adam? We heard Simon's answer earlier. Obviously, Messi is the best player in world football right now. Is it, is it good for South American football to have Argentina there? Austin, I, I, I honestly don't have any kind of dislike or hatred for any of the South of South American countries, even Uruguay, if you're listening, Jesse. Um, yeah, I criticise them when I feel they deserve to be criticised, and I've done that on this podcast in the last two years, and sometimes I have wanted them to lose. If I feel that, you know, they are playing in an overly negative way or, or an overly cynical way, what I will say on Argentina, I feel that they've only just about deserved it. And with Messi, I don't even think they would have got close if they were that bad uh, as a team. I don't think you will find another country in the world where the passion for football exceeds that of, of Argentina. Because, you know, that is probably, for me, the most passionate football country in the world. And South American football culture, you know, owes Argentina a lot. A lot of the songs here come from Argentina. Um, a lot of the, the fan culture comes from Argentina. Obviously, they've produced some of the greatest players as well. You know, we're currently seeing that with, with Messi, of course, who has been accused of not being able to do it for Argentina by many people. Uh, you know, I haven't been that person for many years now. I, I, I feel that he's had to carry that team for a long time. I'm hoping for, for his sake that he gets the help he needs next year. Because I, I feel that if, if Argentina can get it together, then I feel that they will be one of the most exciting and interesting sides to watch in the World Cup next year. Just because they've struggled in qualifying doesn't necessarily mean they're going to struggle in the World Cup next year, especially the fact that Sampaoli's in charge of that team. And, and you know me, guys, you know I'm a big fan of Sampaoli, so I fully expect him to to get that team working together in the end i think for me the biggest thing from this match was i was i came away very impressed with argentina for the first time i think in this qualification cycle and not just that they played really well but the response was brilliant because it was a nightmare start it was everything that we thought could happen happened in in 40 seconds Pacey, Strong, Ecuadorian split them in defense. Argentina's defense was nowhere to be found. Ibada had a very easy finish, and boom, it's 1-0. And this sense of, 
oh my, it could actually happen. And it, it, for Argentina to kind of get past that, I thought was was really impressive. And a lot of that was was Messi being brilliant and, and full credit to him. Uh, one of the best matches I've seen him play in an Argentina shirt, I think. Just was dominant on the ball, used his teammates incredibly well, found shooting spaces, and, and just took advantage of it. And again, look, this is not a world-beating Ecuador side. It's not a great Ecuador side. But Ecuador came to play. Ecuador had their game plan, and I thought they executed it fairly well. They just gave Messi too much space, but but that happens to a lot of teams. Um, I thought I thought that. Sorry, I said I thought no, that first goal. I thought the first goal that Messi scored was just peak Messi at Barcelona. Really, that kind of slalom run that he does, and then lays the ball off that quick one two, and and side foot finish. Yeah, that's a goal we've seen him score for Barcelona. Yeah, literally. Hundreds of times, I think. I think that was interesting to see. And, um, and yeah, Argentina owe him a lot. Yeah, and, and just the response was the biggest thing that I left with. Because that's a very difficult situation. We know that they've not played well in altitude. We read off the stats on the last pod. You know, They hadn't won in Quito since 2001. This Argentina side in particular had really struggled in altitude. Messi had struggled in altitude. And I thought they responded to the initial punch from Ecuador. They counterpunched well. And it was a deserved result. And, and maybe the entire qualification cycle will leave you asking. But on the final night, in the biggest moment, the best player made the best plays and did enough to get his team over the line. And I think that's all you can ask. Two more games for us to break down here, guys, quickly on both of these, because I don't know that there's all that much to talk about. Let's start with Potawai, who had a chance, a win. And with the way that the other results ended up going, a win would have been enough for Potawai to make the Intercontinental playoff. They bottled it at home against Venezuela. I think, Adam, kind of like we thought they would. Venezuela, a dangerous, tricky side. Really not tested all that much. Uh, our golden boy, Wilker Fariñez, played well in goal once again, as he has multiple occasions throughout this, this qualification cycle. An 84th-minute goal from Yanhel Herrera was the final blow for Paraguay. 1-0 win for Venezuela. Their first away win of this cycle, just their second win overall. And Adam, it was all in front of the Potawaiians, and then it was all gone. Kind of not all that unexpectedly, unfortunately for them, no? No, I, I always saw this as like a quite a difficult game for Paraguay to have last up. Just if you look at how their results have gone throughout the qualifying series, it's, it shouldn't really come as a huge surprise that Venezuela um, got something from this game. They even ended up winning it. But... Yeah, it's, it's, it's a strange one with Paraguay. It seemed like they thrived in the situations where they were the underdogs. So, you know, I'm talking about their 1-0 win in Argentina. Uh, they should have beaten Brazil at home. Um, you know, they ended up drawing 2-2 when they were leading 2-0 for, for, and in control of that game. And that was when Brazil still had Dunga in charge, I believe. Yeah, they beat Chile home and away. But, you know, they have lost. I think they've lost to Bolivia. They lost to Peru at home. And at the time, that Peru side isn't quite the same Peru side as, as we've seen at the end of the campaign. You know, it was still a Peru side who hadn't won on the road um, a competitive match for a couple of decades. Venezuela, you've got to say that playing them this side of the year, so this second half of the year, any of the teams which played them, we're at a big disadvantage 
because since that under-20 World Cup uh, performance, we've finally seen, you know, the best of, of this Venezuela side. You know, they've incorporated the likes of uh, Farinas in their team and uh, Cordova as well, Herrera. And, and these players are making a big difference already. And not against Bolivia either. They're making a big difference against Argentina, Colombia, Paraguay, Uruguay. So it's it's really, really fascinating looking ahead to the 2022 World Cup where you've got to say that Venezuela are already looking a pretty good bet to qualify. And I think we've said that for a while now. Uh, but the way they finished off this qualifying round kind of backs up what we've been feeling for a while now, no, Austin? Absolutely. They were unbeaten in their final four. They conceded just one goal over that stretch. They went away to Argentina. Which was an own goal. Exactly. Which was an own goal. Right. Went away to Argentina, got a result, held both Colombia and Uruguay, teams that desperately needed three points from those road matches, held them both keeping clean sheets, and then went away to Paraguay and got the win 1-0. Simon, I think Adam summed it up pretty well for this Paraguay inside. When they were expected to do well, they really didn't. You look at their full results throughout this, this cycle – of their nine home matches, they only won three of them. They picked up four wins away. They picked up three wins at home. They were they only drew with Brazil and Argentina. Granted, those are good results at home. But you look at their home losses. They lost at home to Venezuela. They lost at home to Peru. And they just simply didn't have enough at the end, Simon, to make it over the line to get to the World Cup. Yeah, I mean, the makeup of the team is very much suited to being the underdogs. Um, they got their best results when they weren't expected to. Uh, as you mentioned, the, the good results at home were the games when they were on the back foot and they weren't expected to attack. In this game at home against a good Venezuelan team, a, a Venezuelan team, as Adam said, is very impressive, is really progressing well. Two good strikers, likes of Yang Herrera in midfield, a really good goalkeeper. But it's a game that Paraguay, you know, going into the final game at home, chance to qualify against the team that's bottom of the pool. It's exactly the kind of game that you'd on paper want for the final tie. But in a lot of ways, I think Paraguay would have been more suited to facing a team that was going to attack from the off and was, you know, going to put pressure on them because as we saw a few days ago against Colombia, they defended well for much of the game. And then when it came down to it, when it came down to heart and it came down to determination and it came down to, you know, taking advantage of the chances, they got the result. The same thing happened against Chile. Uh, they were under pressure for the whole game and came out with a three nil win. So, this Paraguayan team has had some incredible results, but they haven't necessarily been consistently on top uh, in many games. Um, I, you know, again, it kind of fits in with the the tough Paraguayan spirit and a lot of things we you know we like about Paraguayan football and we see in the Libertadores at times as well. Um, they're very much a team that's best suited to being the underdogs and upsetting kind of the dominant powers, and, and they did that a number of times in this this campaign. Unfortunately, they couldn't assert their advantage when they perhaps. Perhaps should have. Perhaps you know the the home games against some of the weaker sides where they dropped off. So it's been an interesting campaign for Paraguay. They've done well to stay in until the final the final day. Um, they've picked up some good results recently, but they'll have to be disappointed to to go out without picking up this home win. Um, results elsewhere could have meant that they didn't make it regardless. But yeah, to to go out in a uh, in a tire they could have they could have won at home and could have secured qualification if they'd won against the bottom side in the in the table 
they have to be disappointed. But, you know, I think there doesn't have to be necessarily be that many surprises as it's exactly the kind of game we're used to Paraguay and slipping up with. We'll move finally now to the, the last match of last night. Not much to take away from Uruguay defeating Bolivia 4-2. A pair of own goals serving as the goals for Bolivia. Luis Suarez scored twice for Uruguay. Confirmed Uruguay to the World Cup. This is what we expected. Uh, there was a only really one set of results that could have sent them to the playoff, and that required a big goal differential swing. We knew coming into the night that Uruguay were going to the World Cup. They confirmed it. Simon, what do you expect from them at the World Cup? How do you see this Uruguay team approaching it tactically, you know, players-wise? What do you think they can do in Russia in 2018? I think it's very they're a very, very intriguing team. Yeah, I mean, I think with Uruguay, they have a goalkeeper who's almost certainly going to stay where he is. They've got uh, Jimenez and Godin at the heart of the defence, which is which is excellent. They've got um, Suarez and Cavani up front, which is great. The question now lies is how many of these under-20 players who had such an impressive under-20 World Cup and have made an interesting impact initially have done well? The likes of... Uh, there's a lot of players coming through. Valverde was, was very impressive. How many of those can break into the first team? Um, can they be incorporated without compromising the the spirit and organization which has been so important for Uruguay? Uruguay, in the last couple of years, have had a, a solid organized defense, typical tough tackling, no compromising Uruguayan tactics, and then two world-class forwards who are very well suited to link up on the counter-attack. If they can incorporate some of these interesting, talented youngsters into the midfield, that will be great. But they, they need to be careful not to lose some of that organization, some of that resiliency, which has been a massive part of their, their approach and, the, and their success over the last five or six years. So that will be interesting to see. I mean, again, there's there's the, the qualified teams, Brazil aside, I would say, all have things they need to work on. Peru are pretty much fairly settled, I would say. But very much with Uruguay, Colombia and Argentina, they have the position of a core of players who played the 2014 and, and did well for the for them and, and have been consistently involved since. And then all some score players, some young players, and whether they're able to incorporate them or be able to put together a, a solid, reliable team that can fulfill the strategic ideas of the manager, whilst also injecting some of that youth and that energy and that, that talent. So that's going to be the big question for me for Uruguay over the next seven or eight months. How often will these young players continue to be involved? Obviously, there were three or four involved last night um, in the friendlies. And, and are they going to be a, a fixture of this team over the next six months in time for the World Cup and in time for you know being a part of that organized Uruguayan structure that has been so successful with those two forwards up front? What about for you, Adam? What do you make of this Uruguay team as, as they head towards the World Cup. Do you, do you agree kind of with Simon's assessment that the midfield is where the questions are and, and that's working in those under 20 players? That's what kind of the goal will be for Tavares and Uruguay before they go to Russia? I have so many talented youngsters coming through. It's going to be interesting to see if Tavares can get the right blend between youth and experience. And if he does, then Uruguay are going to be a real hard side to beat in Russia next year. You know, they'll probably head there with one of the best center, cent, central defense pairings in, 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 the, in the competition. They've also got a lot of talent in attack. You know, Suarez and Cavani are, are well known. But you also have this uh, guy, Maxi Gomez, 
who is going great guns in the Liga at the moment. And he may even push one of those players for a starting place by the end of this season. It is going to be difficult to see Uruguay certainly going out in the group stage. You can't see that. So, yeah, and once they get to the knockout stages, you'd fancy them to, to you know, fight and battle their way through. Um, but, you know, it's difficult to say until we see those groups exactly the kind of opposition they're coming up against. And so but for one thing which frustrates me about Uruguay, and I think I made the point, this point um, on our pod the other day, is the fact I always feel like they're playing a little bit within themselves. They have so much more talent than, than, than what they often show on the pitch. And, and that's my great frustration with Uruguay. And just to quickly finish on, on, on Uruguay is I kind of enjoyed and it kind of annoyed me at the same time just how much they celebrated those goals against Bolivia last night. They celebrated the goals like, you know, qualification was really on the line and Bolivia beating them 7-0 and all the other results going against them was a real possibility. (laughs) That was kind of fun, I thought. Well, listen, guys, uh, another Conmebol World Cup qualification cycle has come to an end. Peru still with a little bit to do against New Zealand in the playoff, but we do know who's headed to the World Cup. Unfortunately, we also know who's out. It's been a lot of fun uh, doing these podcasts. Looking forward to that draw in December to see how these groups do shake out. But before we close out this show, I want to give you guys a chance to plug anything that you have as well as tell the listeners where they can find you on social media. And Adam, I will come to you first. Yeah, you can find me in tears on social media. At Adam Brandon eighty four. No, in in all seriousness, I'm still looking forward to the World Cup. The the draw is on the first of December, and yeah, I'll, I'll try and cover that Peru New Zealand playoff as much as possible as well uh, before then. Um, and here on the World Football Index, we've got plenty of treats on the way over the next few months in the build up to the World Cup that I have planned. Um, a Peru special probably coming up next month. Um, and then in the build-up to the World Cup, you know, we're hoping to try and preview pretty much every country going. So it's going to be fun. And Simon, for you, where can the listeners find you and your extended tweets? <laughs> extended tweets, yeah. I really hope I don't lose those. It's gonna feel, it's gonna feel like losing an arm or something. <laughs> I can't. I, I'm always one for a long tweet anyway. So if I if I was cut down in half, I'd, I'd find it difficult. But my long tweets are at Simon Edwards SAF on Twitter. Uh, I, <laughs> I've got some things lined up. I'm still trying to track down Hamilton Ricard. He's in Medellin, so I might go and just find him and, and do this interview that I have planned with him. Um, so we'll see what we'll see what happens with that. But I'm looking forward to speaking to him about his time in England, getting a Colombian's perspective of, of European football, and potentially speaking to George Saunders as well, who's an English guy playing out here in Colombia. So those should be coming up as soon as I can grab hold of Hamilton Ricard and, and keep him still for 30 minutes. Great. Definitely looking forward to those, Simon. I am on Twitter at Austin underscore James 906. I somehow managed through all five matches last night. It was a lot of fun. Um, it was nice to go into it kind of with a neutral perspective and not be on pins and needles for qualification. So another thrilling night. Uh, anybody who tells you that international football is boring is just watching the wrong international football. Uh, Conmable never disappoints. It didn't disappoint in this cycle. It, it left us 
asking questions right up until the end. So a lot of fun. Congratulations to the sides that, that have gone in. Um, that's going to do it for us. But to close out this podcast, we are going to leave you with a little bit of the sounds from last night in Conmobile World Cup qualifying. A little bit of a commentary montage to bring you through all of the emotion that took place on, on the beautiful continent of South America last night. Thanks for listening and uh, enjoy the a los 17 minutos del segundo tiempo señores estaba apagado en el segundo tiempo y compañeros decían por allí está guardando energía para el final o está tomando aire porque está cansado en alguna quedó mareado aquí tiene la pelota Bentancur la tiró el medio, pica Suárez, está el gol está, está, está gol, 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 se movió para recibir el balón, se la pide otra vez por el sector izquierdo, se va corriendo también el jugador Radamel Falcao García, le toca atrás, de atrás viene, acá James Rodríguez, le queda James, golazo. No hay clasificación directa, no hay repechaje, no hay nada.